It's time to take the sweet ride. In Chapter 5 The first four days of the week slipped by quickly. It had rained over the weekend, and Tommy was working hard cutting grass. Thursday came and went, and it was not until Friday that he made his way to the Browns on Apple Street. When he finished there, he drove around the curve and made his way to his newest customer's house. When he got to the point where he could see the house from the driveway, he didn't see anyone on the front porch. The garage door was opened again on the two-door garage, as it was the first time he was there, and still no car was visible. He drove the golf cart to the point on the driveway, where he could lower the ramp and get the mower off the small trailer. The grass had grown tall because of the recent rain, and he decided to start working immediately. He had finished mowing and was using the weed whacker when he heard a voice calling, Tom, there's iced tea on the porch when you finish. He looked up and saw the man sitting in one of the wicker chairs. He waved and went on with his work. When he was done, he pushed the riding mower up the ramp onto the trailer, secured the weed whacker, and made his way to the porch steps. He mounted the steps, went to the empty chair, sat down, wiped his brow on his sleeve, and said, Really warm today. Thanks for the tea. I can really use it. He took a drink of the cold brew and sighed happily. Raspberry iced tea is the best thing on a warm day. How was your week, Tom? the man asked. It's been very busy, sir. I thought we agreed that you would call me Reynolds and I would call you Tom. I still have a problem with that. My dad and mom taught me to treat others with respect. The military works because respect underlies all that they do. That's what my dad used to say. Your dad is right about that, but friends can use each other's names, and I think we can be friends if we share a little bit about ourselves. What do you think? Tommy thought this was a strange thing to say, but he said, I suppose so. You said you knew my dad. I guess I'm wondering how that's possible. You look young, hardly old enough to have known him. Looks can be deceiving, Tom. I'm older than I look, much older, in fact, the man said. How old are you, Tom asked. Let's just say that people in my family age gracefully. The number is not important. How old are you? I was 14 not long ago. My dad was killed two weeks before my 13th birthday, a little over a year ago. I, I have trouble talking about him. Believe me when I say I understand, Tom. Your dad is a hero. The other men who died with him are heroes, too. You have every right to be proud of your dad. Tommy had tears in his eyes. I don't know about heroes, but I know that I wish he was here. He was the greatest dad in the whole world. We used to talk for hours about everything. He taught me so much. We went fishing together as often as we could. He showed me how to play basketball, baseball, football, and so many other things. He liked doing stuff outside, and I have no time for video games or staying inside when I can be out having fun. Heck, I don't even have a cell phone, and I don't want one either. I want to work and make money. He always told me to save for the future. That's what I'm doing. One day, when I'm old enough, I want to serve in the military. I want to be like him. The man named Reynolds said, You are like him. 
You look so much like him, it's incredible. You even smile like he does. You keep talking about him like he's alive. Why do you do that? Tom said, suddenly angry. He is alive, Tom. He's just in a different place now, the man said. Do you really believe that? Tom blurted out, ready to stand up and leave. Don't you go to church, Tom? Don't you believe he's in a far better place? Why did God take him from me? What kind of God would do that? Go on. Tell me why I should believe in anything like that. My dad is dead. Dead. That's all I know. He's dead. Tommy was ready to stand up and leave the porch when the man said, I'm sorry. I've gone and upset you again. No one can force you to believe in anything. But you're wrong when you say you don't believe in God. That's not the truth. Your dad was a believer. If you're going to be like him, then you will be a believer too. His faith was as strong as a mountain. You know he shared his faith with everyone who would listen to him. He was like that. He wasn't ashamed of his faith. I know he talked to you about what he believed. You are his son. He loved you and your mom more than life itself. How do you know that, Tom demanded. He told me, Tom. Told you? When did he tell you? What? Before I answer your question, there's something I have to do, the man said. What? Tom asked, standing up and ready to walk away. The man handed him twelve silver dollars. I didn't pay you for your work. I always pay. We pay for many things in life, both good and the bad. But there's one thing we didn't pay for. God's son paid for us. He paid it in full. Your dad knew this. He was certain beyond doubt that what he believed was real. You ask me when your dad told me he loves you. If I simply give you the answer, you would not believe me. But it's important to me that you do. I want to show you something, the man stood up. Tom had become suspicious. What are you going to... I want to show you something in the garage. If you like what you see, it will answer your question in a way that you won't doubt or be suspicious about. Will you come with me to the garage out back? Instead of waiting for a response, the man walked by Tom, went down the steps to the sidewalk in front of the house, and started towards the driveway. Uncertain about what he should do, Tom hesitated for a moment. The man named Reynolds turned back and asked, Well, are you going to come and see my pride and joy? There's not another one like it, as far as I know. What is it? Tom asked. Come and see. The man turned and walked to the driveway, turned left, and disappeared behind the house. Tom walked to the driveway and saw him going towards the garage. Curiosity overcame his fear, and he started towards the garage when the man emerged, pushing something covered by a gray tarp. What's that? Tom asked. Like I said, it's my pride and joy, Reynolds said. Curiosity had gotten the better of Tom. Can I see it? Of course, that's why I got it out of the garage. The man lifted the tarp 
and let it slide to the ground. When he did so, Tom thought he heard the sound of distant thunder. It was a bicycle, but not like any bicycle Tom had ever seen. It was gleaming in the afternoon sun. What kind of bike is it? This is a 1952 Schwinn Panther Model D27. The bikes of today are phenomenal with all their gears, bells, and whistles. But this is the sweet ride. It will take you places no other bike can take you and show you things you can only dream about, Reynolds said. It was truly a magnificent piece of work, and the amazing thing was that it looked positively brand new. There was not a speck of dust or dirt on it. No sign of rust or decay could be seen. The seat was wide and comfortable-looking. It was a shining purple, or perhaps a rich burgundy color. Tom did not know what color to call it. The light seemed to shift about its structure. One moment it looked to be one color, and in the next it appeared to be a different shade. Tom said, Where's your car? I don't need one, Tom. Not when I have this. Would you like to take a ride? I adjusted the seat before you got here. You have long legs, but this is a man-sized bike, so it should fit you well. Tom stepped closer. You don't mind if I take a ride? What if I said that you were meant to take the sweet ride? What would you say to that? I don't understand, Tom said. Tell you what. Just get on the bike, take it down the driveway, turn left, and see where she takes you. When you're done, bring her back to me. I'll be here when you finish finding what you need. Tom swung his leg up and over and sat on the seat, gripping the handlebars. For a reason he did not understand, it felt as though he and the bike were one. This was a very strange thought. He pushed off and placed his feet on the pedals. The driveway had a slight slope, and he descended to the dirt road and turned left out of the driveway. He rode around one curve and then another to the short straightaway where the dirt road met the asphalt. When he left the dirt and hit the hard surface, he looked around. There should have been more houses to his left and right, but none were there. The brown house was on his left, but it looked brand new. There was a car in the driveway. He wasn't sure of the make or model. It also looked brand new, but it resembled a car that he had once seen in an old book. This made no sense. As he rode along, he saw other differences in the neighborhood, but Clearhaven was not that familiar to him in every detail. He had only been living here for a year, and being lost in his grief, he'd paid little attention to his surroundings. There were cars on the street, but they looked new and old at the same time. He turned right on Market Street and started down the hill towards the center of town. He passed his grandparents' house and looked at it as he rode by. There was different furniture on the porch, and he was tempted to pull in the driveway, but something urged him to keep moving. He got to where several streets came together, and he passed over the railroad tracks. There were automobiles here and there going up and down the streets, 
and so he stayed to the right. The cars were new, but he knew that they were very old, too. Tom pedaled over the bridge, and there was a large building on his right that should not be there. He read his name on the building, Clear Haven High School. What was happening to him? Had he slipped through time and somehow gone into another dimension? For some reason, this strange revelation did not bother him. He was on the bike, and he and the bike were one. He saw another place on his right that had not been there before. It was a restaurant called the Ritz Grill, next to the Ritz Theater. There were kids standing in front of the place on the sidewalk, and they were dressed in old-fashioned clothes. He waved, and they waved back, and then he realized that he must look strange to them. He had been dressed in his Levi's, an army t-shirt that had belonged to his dad, and his Nikes. He looked down at his shoes on the pedals, but they were no longer Nikes. They had become a pair of black and white sneakers. His jeans looked different, and the cuffs were rolled up. He saw that his army t-shirt had been replaced with a white t-shirt. What was happening to him? He kept going. Parked cars were on both sides of the street, and they were old and new at the same time. When he got to Second Street, he made a left turn. He passed the courthouse on the corner, a bank on his right, then the YMCA. He saw stores on his left that were not familiar to him. One was a singer store, and there was a drug store further on with the name of Quigley. It was like riding in a dream. He stayed to the right. Traffic was not heavy, but he was careful. He saw the post office on his left, and that was somewhat familiar. And then he went by the old jail on his left. He'd come to the bridge on Nichols Street, and he crossed it passing over the Susquehanna and continued his ride. The bike was a sweet ride, its big tires rolling smoothly over the pavement. Somehow he knew where it was taking him, and he did not understand why. There was something waiting for him at the end of this journey, something important. His path led him to the Clearhaven Fairgrounds. Each year the Clearhaven Fair came to town for a week at the end of July and the beginning of August. It was a county fair, and it was the biggest event of the year. His parents had taken him to the fair as long as he could remember. And now the grounds were empty. The beginning of September was not far off. He rode by the exhibition hall that faced the back of the old football grandstand. On fair week, it was packed with people there to see the various shows and entertainers who came to town. The sun was high in the sky. When he rounded the side of the grandstand, he saw the track and the football field. Clearhaven had a new high school in the world Tommy lived in and this was not his time or place, but he was not afraid. There were benches for the players aligned along the sides of the field. Someone was sitting on a bench at midfield on the side next to the track in front of the grandstand. No one else was about. Tommy stopped the bike. He sensed that what was about to happen was important. He got off the bike and pushed it along to an opening in the chain lake fence that separated him from access to the track. Tommy walked the bike over the track and towards the person sitting on the bench. It was a boy with his back to him. He did not turn around. 
Tommy moved forward, and the boy turned around at the sound. He jumped up and said, Hey, that's my bike. Where did you get it? Tommy said, I borrowed it from someone to take a ride. The boy had medium brown hair, brown eyes, and looked to be about ten years old. The boy said, I had it at the playground last week, and somebody took it. I've been looking for it everywhere. It looks exactly like my bike. I don't think there's another one like it in town. I haven't seen you before. Do you live in town? What's your name? All of this came out in a rush of words. Tommy said, I'm Tom. I live with my grandparents on the west side on Market Street. I've lived here about a year. What's your name? And how do you know it's your bike? My friends call me Ray. Look under the seat. You'll see the letter R printed under it. My dad wrote it there. Tommy bent down and looked under the seat. As Ray had said, there was the letter R neatly printed in black ink. This makes no sense. A man gave me this bike to ride, but it's there all right. I don't know why he said it was his bike. It belongs to me. It's my bike. Dad and Mom gave it to me for Christmas. My dad's not home. He's a Marine. I really miss him. The boy looked very sad when he said this. Tommy felt for him. I see you really miss your dad. I understand why you would want to get your bike back. You can have it, Tommy said. Ray stepped forward and put his hands on the handlebars. He said, Thanks, Tom. I've been looking everywhere for it. Are you in high school? Yes, I'll be a sophomore this fall. What about you, Ray? I go to Leonard Grade Elementary. I'll be in sixth grade this year. I better get home now. My mom will be worried. Thanks for bringing me my bike. You know how to get home from here? Tommy smiled and said, Yeah, I've been coming here for the fair since I was a little kid. It's not far away. I'm glad you have your bike. I know you're missing your dad a lot. I miss mine, too. Where is your dad? In Korea, in the war. I'm really scared for him, Ray said. He looked like he was ready to cry. Tom reached out and put his hand on Ray's shoulder. What's your dad's name, Ray? Name is James. Mom calls him Jim. She misses him a lot, too. I just want him to come home, but that's all. In that moment, Tommy saw himself in the boy. He saw the pain and the tears and the fear for his father. He realized how selfish he had been, not seeing the pain of others and not thinking enough about his mother's pain. Here was a young boy who felt the same about his dad as Tommy felt about his. He could have said all that was in his heart about his loss, but he said, I'll keep him in my prayers, Ray, I promise. The tears did come to Ray's face in that moment. He did his best not to cry, but there was no way he could stop the flood. He reached out and hugged Tommy, his sobs coming hard. Tommy's tears ran down his face. He was weeping for Ray and his dad, and for himself. The boys held each other until Ray finally stopped crying. He looked up at Tommy. You really mean it, don't you? You'll pray for my dad. 
I pray all the time for him. I hope God hears my prayers. You think he does? Tommy did not know exactly what to say, but he wanted to reassure the boy to comfort him. Yes, I think God hears you. For a long time now, I didn't think so. But coming here today and finding your bike has helped me too. You'd better get home. Your mom will be worried. Get a lock for your bike. Keep it safe from now on. I don't know what that is. I've never seen one, the boy said. It doesn't matter. You have your bike. Maybe we'll see each other again, Tommy said. Ray smiled. Thanks, Tom. This is like having part of my dad back. See you later. The boy wiped his tears from his face, mounted his bike, and pedaled away towards an exit from the park. Tommy Burke felt like a great weight had been lifted from his soul. His pain and loss still burned within him, but he'd been ignoring those who loved him, and he had not seen their needs as being as great as his own. He would try praying for Ray's dad and hope that the outcome would be good, that his father would come home. He sat down on the bench and thought for a long time about what had happened. Reynolds had told him that he would be finding what he needed, and he had done just that. Tommy stood up and started walking. As he strode through the neighborhoods, he saw more new old cars and driveways, and passing him on the streets. People waved at him, and he waved back. He kept going. When he reached Apple Street, he walked to the Brown House. The other houses beyond it were still missing. But when he rounded the curve in the road, he saw his golf cart, trailer, and mower to the right of the pavement on the grass. Where the dirt road had begun was now solid woods. The road had disappeared. He got into the golf cart and sat there for a long time. Had he lost his mind? Had he been hallucinating? What had happened to the road? Had he imagined everything? Finally, he started the cart, turned onto the pavement, and went in the direction of home. When he rounded the curve, the houses that had not been there before were back in place. There was a modern car in the Browns' driveway. Tommy made a right onto Market Street, drove to his grandparents' driveway, and pulled the cart and trailer into the garage. He plugged the charger in and went up the steps and through the back door into the kitchen. His grandmother smiled at him and offered him a glass of iced tea. Why don't you relax a little, Tom? We'll have supper at 5.30 when your mom gets home. Thanks, Grandma, Tom said, forcing a smile in return. He made his way through the hallway to the front door, pushed open the screen door, and went to the swing on the porch. Tommy sat down, his drink in hand, and stared out at the neighborhood. He was afraid that he was seriously ill. He didn't even know what to say about it. He didn't want anyone to become upset and rush him off to a mental hospital. How could he even talk about it? 
When his mom's car pulled into the driveway, he left the porch and went to the kitchen, placing his glass in the dishwasher. He did his best to respond normally during supper. Each of them talked about their day, but Tom said nothing about meeting a boy, riding a strange bike, going to a place from long ago, and what had happened to him. He was afraid to tell them anything. He did not know how he would even begin to describe what he had seen. He was like his father. His mind was strong. He had to figure it out on his own. Tommy was regimented in his habits. He kept his room picked up, clothes hung in the closet or in the hamper when they needed laundered, and he always made his bed each morning. When he went to his room that night, he stripped off his clothes, dumped them in the hamper, put on his pajamas, and crawled into bed. He lay there until the wee hours of the morning before he was able to fall asleep. Before he fell asleep, he decided that he had to tell his mother what had happened. But he would not tell her first thing in the morning. He would have to figure out the best way to explain it. He had no desire to upset her. His revelation about his own selfishness had resulted in the realization that his mom deserved far more consideration from him, and his grandparents did too.